You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 11 of the Believe in Dog podcast. This episode is coming to you from the COVID-19 shelter-in-place order in Maryland. I hope that you are able to find ways to enjoy the extra time with your dogs. We've certainly been doing some extra-long dog walks each day, and I'm so fortunate that I've been able to continue working from home full-time. So I just love being able to go pet my dogs or walk outside in the sunshine for a moment throughout the day. I'm so excited for you to hear this week's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Lauk, the founder of the Live Like Rue Foundation. Live Like Rue is a charitable organization providing support and financial assistance to families whose pet face a cancer diagnosis. I know firsthand how devastating it can be to get a cancer diagnosis for your dogs. Both of my previous girls, Lucy and Kalua, had different forms of cancer. And in both their cases, it was kind of like a mystery illness situation. In fact, if you listened to the last episode, episode 10, I shared with you eight lessons that I learned from Lucy's mystery illness. She had kind of a long drawn out battle over a year and a half, but actually closer to two years when she very, very first started showing symptoms that we didn't know what they were. And then with Kalua, It was really interesting because while Lucy was going through her battle, Kalua started having some weird health issues and weird things, but again, nobody was kind of putting all the pieces together. With her, it was mast cell cancer, and by the time we kind of figured out what was going on, it had just progressed too far that there was really nothing that we could do, Um, and she went downhill very, very, very quickly. And it's heartbreaking, and it's devastating, and it's exhausting, and it can be financially draining. There's a lot of emotional pieces to dealing with your pet having cancer. And Sarah and the Live Lake Roo Foundation are really there to help support you through all of them, and it's so beautiful. I feel like I'm probably going to use the word beautiful a thousand times today because I just don't know any other better word to express just how wonderful and heartfelt and genuine and soulful and meaningful both Sarah is and her mission and the organization that she's built and created. Sarah and I will discuss her experiences growing up with a menagerie of animals, how she ended up in Chicago and started volunteering in Chicago's shelter and rescue community. Sarah shares with us the rewards and the challenges of volunteering in the rescue and shelter world. She tells us the story of how Rue came into her life and the events that led to his terminal cancer diagnosis. Sarah tells us about how Rue's bucket list went viral and 
and the awesome memories and experiences that she was a part of in Rue's final months. Sarah tells us about the very beginnings of the Live Like Rue Foundation and how it has grown and scaled and exploded over the last few years. We'll learn about the different programs and ways that the Live Like Rue Foundation supports pet families during a cancer diagnosis. And we talk about the importance of having the support of your friends and families when you're running an organization in addition to your full-time day job. So let's get started. So I'm here today with Sarah Lauk from the Live Like Rue Foundation. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. So I'm really interested to hear about the story of how you started the Live Like Rue Foundation. And I always like to ask people in the beginning what their experiences were with pets. So tell us, did you have pets when you were growing up? Yeah, I can't remember a time when we didn't have a pet. My parents took in every stray cat, dog, anything that showed up on our porch. So a lot of our animals, we did have a dog early on that came from a breeder. And I remember you know, being small, looking at this golden retriever and all the little, the little puppies with it. And, you know, back then things were a lot different than they are now. There are reputable breeders, but I grew up in the middle of Amish country in Pennsylvania, where I'm pretty sure that kind of breeding is really frowned upon now. But after that, we pretty much took in, we had a cat named named Gimpy that didn't have a tail and he could barely no. walk. And he, I think a lot of the neighbors too knew that we took in all the strays. So I'm pretty sure that some people left some animals on our porch, but we had um, guinea pigs and rabbits and gerbils. And we ended up having, my dad fell in love with pot-bellied pigs at some point And we ended up, um, it was when that pot-bellied pig craze was in the in the 80s and 90s. Okay. Yeah, so we ended up actually breeding some pot-bellied pigs. Again, a little bit frowned upon now in my rescue world, but he, Boris, was ours. He lived with us. My mom occasionally let him inside the house, but he had an amazing pen in our barn, which we had like basically what was a, a small barn, but was great for pigs and such and he was smarter than any dog that I've come in contact with he would <laughs> follow my dad around my dad took him for walks it was really my dad's pet and kind of took the place of a dog in some respects but I learned so much growing up just about pets and animals in general I never obviously dreamed that I would be where I am now with animals but I just learned so much my parents were very compassionate about any animal that showed up on our doorstep. And even if we personally could not care for them, they ended up finding a spot for them. So it was a really good childhood filled with many types of animals. Oh, that's so neat. Yeah, I've heard that pigs can be smarter than dogs. I've never had that experience, but that's really cool to, to hear that you grew up that way. Yeah, they are. And they're so trainable, like because they're so smart, you can teach them almost anything. And Another crazy part of that story is I was in college actually when he got really sick and I came home for Christmas and it was like he, he was, I knew that he was dying, but he almost like waited for me to get home from college to say goodbye. Like he almost knew that I needed that. So I got home from college and I was able to say goodbye to him right before he died. So I almost feel like he was saying like, I got to wait for Sarah to get home to say goodbye. But they're really, really smart animals. And, you know, even though we were breeding them and that what might be frowned upon, they all went to amazing homes and 
during that pot-bellied pig craze, a lot of famous people had them, and my dad bred them the right way. Like I said in the beginning, there's good breeders and bad breeders. I think anybody in animal welfare has kind of learned that. So, you know, even though it's probably frowned upon a little bit, it was a great experience for my childhood and growing up. So did you go to um, college in Chicago? Is that how you ended up there? No. So I went, actually, I went to Kutztown University in Pennsylvania. It was about an hour from home. I ended up here um, in 2004 for my job, actually. So I've only been in Chicago. Actually, now it's been a while. It's 16 years, but it doesn't feel um, like I've been here that long. So yeah, I moved here for my job in TV, actually, in 2004, and I've been here since. Okay. How did you get involved with volunteering at the Chicago Animal Care and Control Shelter? Yeah. So I I know a lot of people have stories about how they got into rescue and mine is probably not that much different than most people's. It's just took like a crazy turn kind of, you know, getting to live like Rue, but Facebook first started, different people used it for different things. And for some reason I latched onto a girl that would save these like really broken dogs. And when I say broken, like they had been hit by a car and came into animal control or Um, They were having seizures and came into animal control. They were just, they needed medical attention pretty immediately. And she ran her rescue like that. She took these dogs that needed help immediately, needed funds, and usually needed transport. So I first started basically being like my own little vet ambulance where I would animal control, take this dog that was usually a mess, like really a mess. And I have a weak stomach. Like I, I don't like blood. I cannot stand puke and poop. And so (laughs) trying to get these animals into my car sometimes was, uh, was just tough, but I learned so much from it. And I learned so much from her. I kind of, I kind of like, I think starting like that with seeing the absolute worst and dealing with some really, really bad cases helped me because a lot of people can't walk into an open admission shelter, which Chicago Animal Care and Control is. What that means is they have to take every single animal that comes in there. If you come in with a dog, they have to take it no matter what the story is. You have to have a Chicago address, a Chicago ID to be able to drop a dog off or any animal off, but they have to take every animal. So what does that mean? Okay, they have capacity for 350 dogs. They have 350 dog kennels. When a dog 351 comes in, then things have to happen. So what can happen? A dog can be rescued by a rescue organization. A dog can be adopted by the public from the adoption floor there. Or a dog could be euthanized. So that's kind of the structure of an open admission shelter. And while euthanasia rates are getting better, as long as... People are breeding dogs and buying dogs from breeders and backyard breeding is not regulated and there's no limit for how many dogs a person can have in Chicago. With all of this working against an open admission shelter like that, euthanasia rates are always going to be there and be somewhat high. They've gotten better if you look at the numbers in the past few years because of rescue organizations showing up and adoptions happening more frequently. But it really is tough um, to see a dog one day and take the dog out and work with the dog and network the dog and then have it be gone the next day. So I think starting kind of at that point where I was seeing some really, really rough and tough cases, especially 
you know, for somebody new to, to rescue, but I think it groomed me for, you know, what was to come in my rescue world later. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. That was actually going to be one of my questions about whether that was like the open admission animal control type shelter in, in Baltimore. We have that also called Barks. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's some heavy stuff. I can certainly um, feel for the volunteer experience and how they can get attached to a dog and then to find out he's not there any- anymore. And I know that nobody takes that lightly. It's just, you know, it's such a hard emotional experience. And so I, I think people who are, are up for the challenge of being able to volunteer in the open admission shelters, like that's just an extra special heart, you know? <laughs> totally. It really is. And that's the thing too. Like I, I would say there's some people that know they can't do it and they know they can't step foot in there. But for those that do, it changes the world of those animals inside there. Absolutely. Being able to walk them, network them, show people their personalities, it it really is. And I should say, it's it really changes your life too, because you are giving something back that's not really tangible. Right. And I, I think that feeling of seeing a dog on day one being dropped off by their owner, and then day 12 being rescued there's nothing better than that and seeing them walk out the door is just like the best feeling ever that's wonderful so you were really volunteering there for over 10 years or so right yeah so I started like I said transporting I actually with my transports I always took pictures of the dog mostly dogs and it actually went viral a little bit people magazine called because somebody had posted a bunch of the photos on a blog and you could just see there's something that a a dog does when they get out of the shelter. And it's this moment where they just like, they do a deep breath and they relax. It's almost like they feel like they're, they're safe. And, and it's, it's a, it's a noticeable thing. I think, you know, I wasn't the first one to notice, but I definitely, everyone that I rescued, I made sure that I posted. And so some of the photos went viral a little bit which was good because it inspired other people to to transport. And honestly, transport is one of the most important keys to rescue and shelters and getting dogs where they need or any animals where they need to be. But then I decided to become an official volunteer. So at the point when I was transporting, I was just volunteering for the rescues and, you know, trying to help the rescues out. But then I started to walk the adoptable dogs and I would network the animals for adoption. So somebody would come into an adopting animal and I would, I would help them basically adopt the dog. So, you know, once that didn't get so challenging anymore, I decided to be on the transfer team. What is the transfer team? The transfer team is basically the dogs that are not adoptable in the back pavilions. Why are they not adoptable? They might be sick. They might have behavior issues. They might have been there for a while. So those are our special volunteers that are trained to help those animals. And it's basically you're a liaison between the animal control and the rescues. So, you know, they're kind of depending on you for behavior tests, dog tests. Does a dog not put weight on its back right leg? That kind of thing. And they kind of look to you for, will this dog fit into our rescue? Or we have this kind of foster available this dog has to like female dogs or it has to like cats, which is 
sometimes really tough to test those in in a shelter environment. So and in a safe way, (laughs) right? And in a safe way where, you know, that's why you have to be kind of a specialized volunteer back there, because you're dealing with a lot of testing that, you know, even a food test where you put a fake hand into a bowl and see if an animal will tag it. I will say, and this is really shocking, though, all the years that I volunteered there, I never once had a bite. And that is, it, it kind of blows my mind. Um, obviously, in rescue, I've had a few like little nips, mostly small dogs. It's always the little guys. <laughs> yeah, it's always the small dogs. And they've only been nips, like nothing crazy. But I would take out 70, 80, 90 pound pit bulls. And I, you know, it's kind of crazy because you're taking out a dog and the only information usually you have is what the owner gave you. And honestly, they usually are lying because they just want to get rid of the dog or cat or whatever it is. And a cage card, which usually says their sex, their age, and that's about all. If they're, they came in as a stray with no information, you have nothing to go on. So I'm kind of taking out these dogs and hoping they're not going to attack me. I mean, you can see so much through a cage, you know, we kind of, you know, having a barrier between you and a dog is not ideal either, but you kind of try to get a vibe from them. And, and, you know, there were definitely ones when I was like, okay, I I don't feel comfortable taking this dog out. And thank goodness. I mean, that's probably part of the reason I had no bites, but we always tried to give a dog a chance, you know, and, and sometimes that meant two of us, if the dog was, slumping in the corner and shaking uncontrollably, like give it time. I would sit on the floor for 30 minutes waiting a dog out just to give it a chance because I knew if I didn't give it a chance, nobody at animal control was going to give it a chance. That dog would be euthanized because you can't even get near it. Right. And a lot of that honestly is our world's been turned upside down. You just got to wait them out. And honestly, almost every time I have so many videos of waiting a dog out and then getting them out and they're a totally different dog tail wags you know I would trust them to even give me a kiss you know they needed to get through that barrier and over the fact that they had just been dropped off or they have been sitting there on stray hold for five days it was awful so you know and a little bit this is why I stopped doing it to be honest with you is I would evaluate a dog and I would say this one is probable for rescue. This one would be good on adapts. This one is not good. And I'm, I'm kind of playing God for dogs. And that is tough sometimes to take. I would go home and be like, I just decided a dog's fate. Mm, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of, that's a heavy weight to feel. Yeah. So it just got to be way too much. And really hard on the heart when you are the one kind of guiding animal control in their decisions. And, you know, it's not a fair assessment all the time in the shelter because the dogs are not how they act at home. And I assess a dog for a rescue and say, oh my God, he's great with cats. He's been great with female dogs. He does play group and they get the dog home and it, it bites somebody or gets in a fight with a cat that's kind of on me. And that's like, uh, and again, rescues should also be doing their due diligence, but rescues trusted me. And like that trust was built on many years of experience. Yeah. That, that's a lot of responsibility. I can imagine that. Yeah. You can only do that for so long before it's just emotionally exhausting. Right. 
And so that's how you met Rue, is that right? Yeah, so I had um, I had quit the transfer team because I just, emotions were just insane. And we had gone back and kind of looked for a dog to foster. And, you know, when you go there, the dogs are all like jumping up and wanting your, your attention and begging for you to take them out. And Rue was sitting there in his cage and kind of, you know, he's this gorgeous tan color and he's calm in his cage. So we took him out and his name was Cisco. He was an owner surrender. He was about four. So once we got him outside, he definitely had some kind of urination issues. I mean, he basically urinated for like three minutes and it was just coming out so slow. So we knew something was wrong with him. We were hoping it was a neuter problem that we could get it fixed by neutering him and getting him healthy. He also had the flu at that point. So we couldn't take him home that day. He had to be isolated with no other dogs. We all had dogs. And none of us could ISO foster him. So he ended up having to stay at an ISO vet for about a week before he actually could join us as a foster. And a few weeks later, he had no teeth. Like his teeth were like ground down. It almost looked like he was eating rocks or was like trying to get out of his crate all the time. So we wanted to get a bunch of his teeth checked and removed. And while they were doing that, they noticed that he had bone cancer in his groin. So it kind of was a type of situation where I got the news and I was driving to work and I had to pull over because I, you know, obviously don't expect that. Um, and even if you just met a dog, I think getting um, a terminal diagnosis that soon after meeting him, even knowing that he was you know, unhealthy, um, or had some issue, it was just devastating. And, you know, at that point, I didn't know really anything about dog cancer. You know, I just knew that it was bad because they said even chemo would give him only a few months and it was, it was pretty bad. So we basically decided to give him a bucket list and give him the best few months ever. And you know, the prognosis was, you know, two weeks to a year. So we didn't really have a solid time, you know, time frame. He could be with us for a year or a month. So we pretty much packed that time into every day. I mean, we did so many different things. Um, the Waldorf Astoria, somebody got us a room. For those of you who don't, don't know that hotel, it's fancy and yeah, they don't usually allow Super fancy. a pit bull type dog there. Um, it's mostly small, fluffy dogs. But Rue walked right into the hotel like he owned it, and we were treated like royalty. I've never seen so much staff like so enamored by a dog. It was amazing. We did boat rides. We did canoe rides. He had ice cream all the time. We went hiking. And what happened during that is... You know, I kind of, I wasn't, we didn't want it to be some kind of social media act. And I, I kind of refused to make a page or post much because I wanted, as much as I wanted to share his story, I also didn't want to take away from our time with him. Right. You just wanted to stay in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was important. And, but people latched on to, you know, my personal pages, even Instagram and Facebook and were really taken by the story. Here's this pit bull that was rescued from euthanasia, a shelter, and had cancer and now is living his best life. So we did make a page and the bucket list 
went viral, to be honest with you. It was on Access Hollywood and in the Tribune. And oh, wow. so we had all these people kind of hanging on to the story. And he basically passed away after six months. And I had a lot of people kind of like hanging on to, to, okay, Sarah, now what? <laughs> you know, like, what are you going to do next? And after some grieving, I ended up sending care packages to people going through the same thing. And they included things that Rue loved. He loved his blanket. He loved his tennis ball. He loved toys and tr- treats. And he loved ice cream. So we would, I would send a McDonald's gift card in there. And eventually, I was spending a lot of money on these things of my personal money. So people said, like, Sarah, you should turn this into something where we can donate these items and it's tax deductible for for us. And you win, you know, you, you will be able to do this as a charity. So that was in 2016, we became official and now it's just crazy how it's grown. I mean, last year we gave out $300,000 in medical donations. So we also pay people's medical bills. If your dog, like we discussed, had a mass that needed to be removed and tested, we could pay for that. It's a simple application process. We send care packages to everybody that applies throughout the United States. So that's amazing. It's become much bigger than I ever dreamed, but that's kind of the story of how it all happened. That's so amazing. Wow. So when uh, when you were sending out like the very first care packages, were those like people that you knew or people through social media or how did you start doing that? Yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, people tagging me and saying, hey, Sarah, you know, this is happening to me. A lot of what we do, to be honest with you, is emotional support. And it's like, I get a lot of messages asking for medical advice. Number one, I'm not a vet. <laughs> you know, right. like, I can't, I can only do so much. Like, do a lot of people ask me about chemo. That's probably like the number one question. And I, I don't feel comfortable answering it. I will give my opinion about it, but you know, it's, it's tough not being a vet to answer that. Now do, if they need emotional support, I always will answer those and I will give the best advice I can. But again, it's a lot of what we do is trying to get people through the toughest time in their life. Yeah. I, um, I, I'm going to do an episode right before I air this one, where I'm kind of going to tell the story of my dogs uh, having cancer. And um, one of them had a very long, drawn out over almost like two year period. And then, and it was sort of this mystery illness, and we didn't know what was going on. And, and then the other one, it all happened very quickly. And we weren't even really sure what it was until like basically it was too late um and uh and it it was a very aggressive mast cell cancer but it presented in such a bizarre way it was like it looked like her like it was like this lump on her shoulder that like almost looked like she was growing a second head or something and it's like it literally just like popped up overnight it was so crazy and then it was like it was just like kind of too too late really to to do anything and it's such it's like literally like the worst day <laughs> it's, you know? Yeah. And so um, I just think it's such a, a beautiful thing. Cause I, I can imagine, you know, here you are, it's several years 
later, you know, and, and you're still almost like having to relive some of this, you know, emotionally and, and you know, to give people support. And, you know, I feel like that's giving so much of, of yourself, you know, that that's such a beautiful thing for you to keep doing. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It's it's almost like you feel like you're on an island when you first get the diagnosis. And then when and somebody wrote me this gorgeous note yesterday and it made me cry, actually, just, you know, she said she doesn't have a lot of friends and she got this diagnosis. But for some reason, like she just she didn't feel like she was alone because of who live like Rue has kind of built themselves as and who and kind of the person I am where you know, I think it's important to put a face to an organization and I have never like shied away from people knowing who I am. I think businesses that, you know, and, and I've started to run this like a business. It's been very, very hard for me because I haven't been running it like a business, but I don't have a choice anymore. Right. I mean, but you're talking about that kind of, yeah. Yeah amount you know amounts of money yeah 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 so it's been tough for me to turn turn that switch to being you know passionate about something and 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 trying to run it like a business but you know a while ago I I was working with a company they actually made our first t-shirts and and she's like Sarah you know I I something clicked like people want to know where this is coming from and who it is and that's and she realized like it was important for people to know she was behind this company because it felt more genuine and like authentic and i like that that to me is so important and i want i you know i don't want our voice to be business like or you know a corporate america like i want and and you'll see it in our posts like i'm you know i kind of i kind of post like i speak you know and there might be like a dude in there or a, you know, some kind of way that I would speak. And that still is important to me as much as this is a business now. Like I, I still want it to be where if somebody reaches out, like they're, they're talking to me and not somebody scanning our emails or, you know, our social media person, I want it to be genuine and from the heart. So, you know, feeling like you are on an Island and, desperate is is one of the worst feelings in the world so the girl that wrote me the note yesterday just saying like during one of the most devastating times in her life she actually felt like she had this group of people surrounding her because because of what we built was amazing that's beautiful that's I actually I had written that note to myself just that you know you guys really rock social media and you're so great at you know getting people involved at at telling the stories and you know of of letting people like who are are getting a diagnosis you know have let the community know like hey these people need you know to hear from you and you know and here here's what we're doing to help and yeah I that's such a beautiful thing and I think that's why you know it has caught on and blown up so much is because it is real it is genuine and and you know people are longing for that in this like corporate world of social media teams, you know, to, to really have, you know, that personal connection. But, but I can also just imagine, you know, that, that, that's still just a lot emotionally, you know, on, on you. And, but, you know, to be able to like give in of yourself in, in that way is, is so beautiful. Thank you. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to do some just, you know, through, through the podcast is, uh, 
you know, to have a voice, to hear the story behind, you know, different organizations and how they were started or different, you know, companies and, and how they were started, because that is like, that's always what's so important to me is like the, the why, you know, <laughs> like the, the why am I supporting this? The why did this get started? And I love that. my husband and I were just talking, you know, about we were going to try this coffee company called Grounds and Hounds yeah. because they give some of their money to, you know, rescue. And it's like, well, we're going to buy, you know, he's going to buy really expensive coffee anyway. It might as well help the dog, you know, and, and, you know, be aligned with something that, you know, we, we care about. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, people are kind of moving more in, in that way and kind of getting away from, or at least people that I see, you know, like getting away from kind of that corporatized you know, yeah. thing and, and they want to be connected and, and that's what's cool about social media. But then, you know, you also have like, you know, Walmart and Coca-Cola on social right. media too. <laughs> I know everybody needs a voice. That's, you know, the key is finding that voice and what you want to look like to somebody that just hears about you. You know, it's, it's really important. Yeah, it literally is just like the worst feeling to, to get that diagnosis. And, you know, people are, are dealing with so many of their own emotions and fear of they don't know what you know what this means and and maybe the financial stress of you know what can I do and, and then you almost feel like or, am I like trading off yeah. you know my dog's life based on you know my financial means and you know so to have you know an organization like you guys that's that's able to help in, in those kind of ways is just so incredibly important. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. I think too. I should mention the medical donations, you know, for a while we were doing like $350 per applicant. That doesn't even cut into cancer bills. I mean. Oh yeah. That might not even pay for the diagnostics, you know? Right. right. So the way we do it now is we do, we do more money for less people and it's the way to go because, you know, $350 is not really going to help somebody in the long run. And, you know, we may make some more people angry by not helping them, but the people that we do help, it makes a huge difference when we can give them $2,000 for an amputation that saves a dog's life, you know. Um, it is really tough to tell somebody that you can't help them or, you know, somebody else got that. But we are raising enough where we can help a lot of people with a lot of money now. So I'm so thankful to our donors and people like you that spread our message. Like that is so key to be able to help as many people as we can. Yeah. I saw, do you want to tell us about the different funds? It looks like you have like four different funds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Booker fund is the first one we created and that is for animals that are terminal to stay at hotels, get a wagon, get endless squeaky toys, it's basically a, a fund for terminal animals to have a bucket list. Um, the most popular thing we do there is the hotel stays where we have a partnership with the Kipton in Chicago and the dogs and the humans go and stay at the Kipton and get spoiled. We pay for everything. So it's named after Booker. He was a foster who would only foster older dogs. And unfortunately, he has not done that in a while, but it's still named after him. And then Serenity's Wish is a euthanasia fund where we pay for euthanasia for an animal with cancer. We get the paw prints, ashes, whatever they want. Um, and then there is Cappy's Fund is for rescue dogs. So any dog that is in a 
shelter environment or foster, we pay 100% of their cancer bills because any dog that is in that situation, whatever we can do to help them get out of that or get, get healed in that environment, we will always help them with that too. And the Maggie's. Oh yeah, that's for cats. So we will always help cats as much as we can. We've also helped horses, a rabbit, a parrot. So we help oh. all animals. I didn't even know like that I would ever know a horse that got cancer. And unfortunately, recently, Apache, who we helped, passed away. As you can imagine, the bills for a horse with cancer are insane. Insane. And, you know, he could have drained our entire account with what he needed. We helped him as much as we could. Unfortunately, he um, just passed away last week. So, but, you know, the things that we could help, his owner, Kristen, with, we, we did. Um, and a lot of people love that horse a lot. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine what a horse Crazy. cancer bill yeah. would look like. <laughs> it's insane. Like even just the house call is like, you know, $500 for the vet. Cause you can't just like load a Bring horse them. <laughs> to take them to the vet, you know, and right. it's awful. Oh my goodness. And it seems like you guys are really making some, some big moves uh, over the last couple months uh, into an office space. Yeah, so two two big things that we've done in 2020. We now have paid staff, so I can't thank our volunteers enough, and now these volunteers have become staff. So it took a long time to decide to do that. I, you know, it's really tough for me to take money away from animals, and uh, you know, we're not getting we're not millionaires now that we're getting paid. <laughs> we all have other full time jobs. You know, this is not something where everybody was able to quit their, their job. Um, but I felt, you know, because of the staff we have now, I wanted to keep them and be sure, you know, I was able to pay them what I think that they're worth now. I do think they're worth way more, but I can't take money away from the animals. So what, what they're getting is very fair for what they do for now. We're growing. So we hope that, you know, I'll be able to give them more money as we continue to grow. And then the office space, which one day I just said, you know, I need to get this stuff out of my house. I had, you know, swag, care packages, care things that go in care packages, blankets, fleece. I mean, you name it. It was in my house. It's insane. It was, you know, I don't live in a big house. We live in Chicago. We have a small house. And if you go and look at what the office looks like now, it is crazy how that stuff in my house. So um, <laughs> what's great about it is we are in the loop of Chicago. So if you're not from Chicago, it's like the central business district in Chicago is where we are. The reason that we got a great deal on the rent is that there are no windows. So if we did have windows, we would look at the L track. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about <laughs> the lack of windows, um, but it's an amazing space where we can hold events we can store things for events and I can have my sanity back along with my husband. So, um, the office space, um, I, I actually cried today um, when I went live on the live like group page because, you know, I can see the floor today because I, I, I busted my butt the last few days to get things in order. And I think it's kind of like a dream that became real and seeing it all put together. It was just, really emotional today oh that's lovely I I could totally relate to that 
the organization I volunteer with, Be More Dog, we do pop-up wellness clinics around Baltimore. And we actually have a vet that volunteers with us and, and we have like free uh, leashes and collars and we have a partner that does free microchipping. And um, I always end up with like, I have just kind of like a junk room of just like all these crazy <laughs> extra bins and storage and, you know, syringes for vaccines and, you know, all these just crazy, you know, things and you know, my my husband and I are like, oh, it's in the junk room, you know? <laughs> so I, I totally get that. And, you know, the husbands are the ones that are kind of, like, so patient. But, like, you know, I think, like, my husband really appreciated when I one day I was like, okay, like, this has to stop. And, you know, again, it's it, it was not a hard decision. But, again, I'm taking money away from animals that need it but it also makes us better as a whole. So I think, you know, people had to remind me of that because it, for my sanity, it actually is huge, you know? And again, the rent isn't like $5,000 a month or something. We got a great deal, but it still is money that I could be using for animals. So you give and take basically is, is kind of how we operate this thing. Growing to scale and, you know, all the growing pains that come along with yeah, that totally. and, no, I mean, you guys are definitely, you know, with with this kind of budget and numbers, you know, we're, we're operating on like, you know, a tiny shoestring and, right. you know, because I got everything in my junk room and I got three boxes of flea tick medicine in my trunk right now, you know, I love it. I love <laughs> so I, it. I totally get it. <laughs> it's so awesome. I'm so excited to see, you know, how much support that, that you have. And, you know, I think, you know, to have this organization that's there to kind of give support when people are getting, you know, like the worst news possible. That's just such a, a beautiful thing. Thank you. I think I saw that um, it's about se- each care package. It's about $70 worth of stuff. Is that? Yeah. Plus you have to ship it and mail it. And- yeah. The shipping is what gets us. And there's not really a way for people to donate shipping costs. That's the problem. I've um, tried to work with FedEx, UPS, and it's just, we end up back at the same place. And so we use a uh, postal service and it's been fine. Um, but yeah, all the blankets are handmade. The toys and treats usually are donated. The gift card we pay for five dollars each. So yeah, I mean it's not it's not a huge expense, and it, it it really makes people's day. To be honest with you, they're just usually at a really bad place, and the animals always love the care packages so much. Just seeing them open the boxes or pictures of them with it with them. I mean, those that's one thing that we will do forever for sure. Oh, oh! I didn't even realize the blankets are handmade. That almost got me choked up. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we have blanket tying parties that are like a huge success. I have tried to go the store-bought route just because it's so much cheaper and easier to organize. But something about the handmade blankets is, you know, it gets people. So we'll keep doing them for now. Oh, yeah, that's such a an extra special touch, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's so cool. I know my dogs always love blankets and, um, you know, even, even when we were, you know, saying goodbye to our girl, Lucy, like we have, you know, had a blanket down and that, you know, that that's so special. Yeah, totally. So you guys have helped, I think I saw over 8,200 dogs and their families. Yeah, that number actually has, is grown. It's about 15,000. I want to check it. Um, oh wow! So that includes care packages and medical. So it's pretty crazy. I mean, when you think about and that's in like four years. Yeah, and when you think about 
you know, how many states we've sent to, there's a way to filter that. It, we've almost touched every state at this point. So, yeah, the numbers are, are kind of mind-blowing um, when you look to at the first year and then this past year, it's it's unbelievable, the growth. So I don't look at the numbers a lot. You kind of just keep chugging along. But when you right. look at them, you it, it really does blow my mind. I, I you know, it's – and I'm – Again, I'm so thankful to people that donate to us, come to our events, spread the word. It's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. That's that's awesome. Do you ever have any suggestions for what people could put on their bucket list with their dog? Yeah, so we actually, if anybody wants one, we do have a bucket list that comes with our care packages. Oh, okay. If anybody ever wants one, it's just livelikereal at Gmail and I will send you one or I can send a picture even. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. One of our dogs right now, I mean, he's totally healthy and everything, but he, um, he's, you know, this like 80 pound pit bull. I always say most of that's his head, (laughs) (laughs) but he is. So, um, he's a very fearful guy and I just have always imagined his, (laughs) his bucket list is like, I don't want to leave the house. (laughs) I love that though. Me <laughs> yeah, I always think, uh, you know, I always say he's more scared of you than you are of him. Aww. Trust me. Like, so sweet. yeah, he's our he's our sweet boy. So how has um has all like it seems like your husband's really been on board. Like, do you have a lot of family support? My parents are still in Pennsylvania. They love what I do and they always support me. So they try to come to as many events as they can. You know, we. A lot of the ways that we raise money are, are holding events and, um, you know, we hold a dog prom in the, in the spring where everybody oh, cool. dresses up their dog in, in prom clothes. And this year's theme is 80s theme. So, um, oh, I love it. Yeah. It's a huge success. It's kind of our, our marquee uh, fundraiser for the year. A lot of people look forward to it. So my, yeah, my parents are great. My husband, you know, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't do this without him and his support. Um, I have amazing friends that, you know, understand why I can't be at every dinner and every, you know, Christmas event. And, you, you know, they, they get it. They get, you know, this is two full-time jobs with my normal job in TV. Right. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's a lot. And there's, you know, one thing I say about Live Like Rue is it, it's 24-7, even if something's not going on right now as far as a dog in surgery or somebody requesting something I'm I am always doing stuff for it and I'm all it's always on my mind so you know I don't think you can be successful if it's not like that I mean do I take little vacations and breaks yes but when I'm on vacation it's almost like I have more time to devote to Ruby than my right job. Um, I get that yeah which annoys the hell out of my husband but um <laughs> he's totally understanding he gets it he realizes this thing I've I've built with so much support is is the most important thing I do so I'm so grateful to him it takes it takes a whole it takes a village it takes a family you know to to support these kind of efforts that's awesome well thank you so much for your time today yes thank you this podcast is amazing you asked great questions that I've never been asked so thank you Erin
hope you enjoyed learning about the Live Like Rue Foundation as much as I did. I didn't realize that when I was releasing this episode was actually coinciding with the five-year anniversary of when Sarah first met Rue. She posted on Facebook on April 5th. Today is the five-year anniversary of the first time I met Rue. I was trying to figure out how I could put into words how much has happened since that Easter Sunday in 2015, but at this time, it is difficult. I think the bigger and better message at this point is that you cannot take anything for granted. We knew Rue was ill when he came out of the cage, but we had no idea that in six short months he would be gone. Once we knew he had limited time, we gave him everything we could, lived every day like it could be his last. I know we are all going through a tough time right now, a time where it is hard to live like Rue, and when we get out of this thing, our lives will be forever different. Some of us will lose more than we ever imagined, and for that, my heart hurts, and I send so much love. Also, a huge amount of gratitude to the medical workers, grocery store employees, truck drivers, and all the people that are working so hard to keep the world going for hours on end. As for Rue, I hope that we can continue to help animals in his honor for many years to come. I know that five years ago, my life was forever changed when I hugged a pit bull on the floor of a shelter. On that day, I had no idea the legacy he would leave. Thank you to everyone that continues to support us. Miss you, Rue. Please stay safe. Love, Sarah. I think one of the greatest lessons that my dogs have taught me is about living in the moment and appreciating each day and each moment as it comes. And that no matter what else is going on in the world around me or in my personal life, or even if it's just in my head, that my dogs are always there to keep me grounded, to keep me centered, to remind me of what's important. So if you're experiencing any frustration or anger or sadness or fear or anxiety right now, I hope that your dogs can be there for you to help remind you of what's important also. I'll be sure to put links in the show notes to the Live Like Rue Foundation's website and social media accounts. If you aren't already following them, I strongly suggest that you do. They just post such wonderful and heartfelt stories and, you know, Sarah and I had discussed how she'll go live and she's just so authentic and heartfelt and genuine and I just think that that all comes through so vividly in Live Like Rue's social media. So please follow Live Like Rue, support Live Like Rue. And most importantly, actually live like Rue. That's all for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app so you'll never miss an episode. And I also always appreciate your ratings and review on Apple Podcasts. Those really do help more people find us. You can also find more photos of Rue and Sarah and the Live Like Rue Foundation at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook and at Believe underscore in underscore dog underscore podcast on Instagram. I also share some photos in my IG stories as well. And you can always email me, Erin at Believe in Dog Podcast.com is my new email address. Thank you for listening today. And this is Erin Scott sending hugs and belly rubs from an appropriate social distance, of course. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay home with your dog.